Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorba. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 19 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figle Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa. The DRC in the spotlight after Felix Chesekedi, leader of the opposition, wins a contentious December presidential election. And U.S. government partial shutdown now in its third week and affecting mainly federal workers. In sports news, Zubair Hamza relishing the opportunity of making his test debut for the Proteas against Pakistan. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. Security remains tight in the Democratic Republic of Congo after the country's electoral commission declared opposition leader Felix Tshisekedi the winner of the contentious December presidential election. The other main opposition candidate, Marte Fayolo, who was stipped as the favorite in, pre- in pre-election opinion polls, came second. The DRC has been in the grip of a two-year crisis over the succession of President Joseph Kabila, who said last year that he would step down after nearly two decades in power. There are fears that violence could erupt over the election results following bloody clashes that marred elections in 2006 and 2011. The BBC's Louise de Wast reports. The Electoral Commission has declared opposition candidate Felix Chisikedi the winner, defeating Martin Fayulu, another opposition candidate, and Emmanuel Ramazani Shadari, the ruling party's candidate. This is a historic moment for Chisikedi's party, the UDPS, who have tried unsuccessfully to seize power for decades. But in recent days, rumors of a deal between Chisikedi and President Joseph Kabila have raised concerns among members of the opposition. The UDPS has acknowledged talks with the ruling party to prepare a transition of power. Meanwhile, the Congolese People's Associate Organization rather in South Africa says the opposition in the DRC is concerned about suspicions of a deal between former President Joseph Kabila and the provisional winner of the presidential election, Felix Tshisekedi. The organization fears that chaos could erupt in the DRC after the country's electoral commission declared Tshisekedi the winner. The community spokesperson Jean Bamwasa explains. We will be in a conflict that might lead to chaos because Martin Fayul will ultimately and certainly, we believe, go to the legal recourse and go to the constitutional court. So that might lead us to a possible and presumable invalidation of the electoral process as a whole. If not, we could also preempt the fact that there is a cloud 
hanging on these results due to the fact that there was a negotiation between the cash and the PPRD, which is the government party. No one knows what are the deals that they have signed. Gabon's ruling party says alien President Ali Bongo Ndimba will return to the country very soon after a coup attempt earlier this week. Gabonese Democratic Party Secretary General Eric Dodo Bugandazwa spoke after authorities inspected the bloody scene where soldiers briefly took over the state registration on Monday. The Republican Guard members encouraged the youth to help them restore democracy in the world-rich country. Authorities have said eight plotters were arrested and two killed when special forces stormed the scene and released hostages. The eight have been handed over to the public prosecutor. The United Nations has voiced concern at the displacement of more than 30,000 Nigerians who were forced to flee the protracted war against militant insurgents in the country's northeast. Attacks by Islamic State militants in West Africa and the Boko Haram group have increased during the run-up to an election in which President Muhammadu Buhari will seek a second term. The head of the UN operations in Nigeria, Edward Callon, says the impact of the recent fighting on innocent civilians is devastating and has created a human tragedy. The Boko Haram insurgency, which Buhari vowed to end when he took office in 2015, aims to carve out a purest Islamic state in northeast Nigeria. And finally, U.S. President Donald Trump has walked out of a meeting with congressional leaders after a top Democrat told him that they would not fund his border wall. It was the latest attempt to end the government shutdown. Trump described the meeting as a waste of time. The Democratic leader in the Senate, Charles Schumer, says Trump had a tantrum. Well, unfortunately, the president just got up and walked out. He asked... Uh, Speaker Pelosi, will you agree to my wall? She said no. And he just got up and said, then we have nothing to discuss, and he just walked out because he couldn't get his way, and he just walked out of the meeting. And that's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. It's 807 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, there are fears that violence could erupt in the Democratic Republic of Congo over the election results following bloody clashes that marred elections in 2006 and 2011. Security remains tight in the DRC after the country's electoral commission declared opposition leader Felix Chesakedi 
the provisional winner of the contentious December presidential election. The other main opposition candidate, former oil executive Martin Fayulu, who was tipped as a favorite in pre-election opinion polls, came second. The DRC has been in the grip of a two-year crisis over the succession of President Joseph Kabila, who said last year that he would step down after nearly two decades in power. For the latest on the ground, we are joined from Kinshasa by our correspondent Jean-Noël Bamweze. Jean, good morning and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, uh, good morning, good morning and good morning once more. You sound very excited. Felix Chisakedi, your choice of candidate? Yes, uh, uh, here people are busy uh, celebrating uh, the victory of uh, this uh, new new president uh, who has been uh, provisionally declared Mr. Um, Felix Tisekedi. So, uh, yeah, all of us, we are, like, excited. Now, you need to explain this to us, that word, provisionally. What does it mean? Is there going to be, is there a possibility of a change or... Is he the president-elect? Yeah, there is uh, um, a, a, a possibility of change because after this, um, uh, after this victory, there are these other um, uh, candidates. Remain, uh, I mean, remember, there were uh, 21 uh, candidates for president, uh, including these three main presidents, uh, that uh, Felix Tisekedi, Ramazani Shadari, and uh, Martin Fayulu. Uh, so uh, it's possible that after the uh, independent National Electoral Commission has declared Felix Tisekedi the winner. Uh, uh, Martin Fayulu or Ramazani Shadari uh, uh, can still appeal to the Constitutional Court. And once they appeal to the Constitutional Court, the constitutional the constitutional court will then have to rule and find out if it's really uh, Chisekedi, the winner, or Shadari, or Martin Fayulu. It's only once the constitutional court will have ruled that now um, uh, the, uh, the 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 real president will be declared. That's indeed uh, the change, and that's why here we're speaking about the provisional president. We saw yesterday before um, the announcement of uh, the final, uh, the the vote and uh, the elections that took place in in December that there was a lot of security deployed on the ground, especially at the Seni offices and uh, in the capital, Kinshasa. Tell us about that and what it's still like. Is the security still on the ground? What was people's reaction with regards to them being very uh, visible and uh, just before the announcement of the results. Yeah, uh, uh, the uh, security remains uh, tight here, uh, and especially, as, as you've mentioned, especially at uh, the uh, uh, Seni offices. Everywhere the Seni offices is, uh, uh, I mean, the Seni offices are may, uh, mighty, I mean, uh, being here in Kinshasa or in uh, provinces, uh, security, uh, there are uh, uh, police around, uh, and uh, they are really... Uh, uh, heavily armed uh, policy and there and uh, in every corner 
uh, here in Kinshasa there are uh, police. Uh, this it's because we do not know uh, exactly what's going to happen. Because remember, uh, before before the Senate could declare Felix Tshisekedi the winner, supporters of uh, uh, Martin Fayulu were saying that the winner is Fayulu, and supporters of uh, Ramazani Shadari were saying the winner is Shadari, meaning each and every side believed that uh, its candidate is the winner. So this means that uh, since the Senate has declared Felix Tisekedi the winner of uh, the election, we never know. Supporters of Fayulu or supporters of um, uh, the ruling coalition can still uh, 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 can still take to the street and uh, and, and and start uh, uh, violence and and something like that. And that's indeed uh, why the police has been deployed here and there. You forgot to mention the third party in that uh, um, supposed announcement of uh, who should win or who would win before the election results were announced, the Catholic Church. They also mentioned the fact that Martin Fayulu was the um, winner of these elections from their observation. Have they said, has there been been any reaction from any of the camps? Uh, up to now, there is no election. Uh, there is no reaction yet. Uh, remember, this uh, result has been uh, uh, announced very, very late in the night. It was announced at 3 a.m. local time. It's really uh, 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 too late, and uh, nobody could uh, speak at that time. And uh, even uh, uh, up to now, uh, there is no movement of uh, of uh, people that have been observed. But still, people are waiting. Uh, any reaction can, uh, uh, I mean, can still happen. Uh, the uh, Catholic Church uh, announced before, as you mentioned it, that uh, uh, they know they have the, the name of the real winner. And uh, for them, it was Martin Fayulu. And now, since uh, the Senate has declared something else, the Senate has declared instead of Fayulu. This means that, uh, according to the Catholic Church, uh, that was calling uh, the Senate to make sure it gives the, 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 the true result. Uh, this means that the Senate didn't give the true result, and it means that uh, something else can still happen. That's why, as I told you, we are still waiting. Maybe during the day there can still be um, uh, more reactions, uh, more violence. People can still, I mean, uh, Martin Fayulu supporters can still take on the streets and this and that. That's why... security too heavy. Uh, now, Jean, just, uh, can I just cut you off there very quickly? We are running out of time. But uh, as you did mention, it is a developing story. The whole world is watching. Um, there's an observation team that uh, is coming from uh, the social uh, progressive movements within the DRC at uh, the UN where they will be observing and, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> I beg your pardon, speaking to different um, leaders with regards to the issues that 
taking place in the DRC. Now, there is a meeting that uh, apparently took place between um, Chisekedi's camp and uh, Kabila's camp, that is uh, Shadare, as uh, Shadare is uh, Joseph, President Joseph Kabila's uh, preferred successor. Did that meeting take place? Can you confirm that? And these results... Is it a possibility that it could be um, a reflection of that meeting having taken place that is being denied by um, Kabila's camp? Uh, up to now, there is nothing uh, that has been put clear as far as uh, 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 this meeting is is concerned, uh, but it has been uh, planned to to take place on uh, on a Friday. It has been, uh, I mean, it has been said it should take uh, uh, place on uh, Friday, and uh, this is tomorrow. Uh, but up to now, uh, no position has been clear as far as uh, uh, such a meeting is concerned. Uh, but. Most of analysts who have been uh, discussing the issue with uh, have been uh, looking at the issue as uh, 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 here in the DRC, the ruling coalition uh, has just, uh, uh, I mean, the ruling coalition with uh, uh, the Independent National Electoral Commission have just uh, been looking for um, a local solution that could uh, uh, try to avoid uh, violence. And uh, what was, um, I mean, according to most of analysts, uh, what they found is that if if uh, uh, the Senate could declare Ramazan Shadari the win of this election, there should uh, be more violence uh, following. Jean, unfortunately, I have to cut you off there. Um, we have run out of time, but it is a developing story. And uh, I know that programming in uh, later during the day will definitely get in touch with you to get further updates with regards to the provisional um, announcement of a provisional uh, President-elect Felix Chisikedi being the winner of the contentious December presidential election in the DRC. Thank you so much for joining us. That's our correspondent, Januel Bamweze, joining us on the line from Kinshasa in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people. And we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Hashtag Mama Sisulu Centenary. It's 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now thousands of South African children made their way to schools on the first day of school in the year in 2019. Over 16,000 grade 1 and grade 8 learners in the Gauteng province only are still waiting to be placed. According to the Provincial Education Department, more than 24,000 late applications were received by Monday. The Gauteng province annually experiences a problem of last-minute placements due to the high number of migrants moving into the economic hub of the southern African nation. Now, to speak to us further on this, 
We're joined on the line by the spokesperson at the Department of Basic Education, Elijah Mslanga. Elijah, good morning and compliments of the new year to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Compliments. Thank you so much for inviting us. Now, Elijah, would you say it was a smooth start for many learners and parents who were starting school for the first time across the country? Well, the start of school went fine. It went very well. In fact, uh, we visited uh, lots of schools yesterday. Almost all our senior managers were out and about in different parts of the country. The minister was in the central areas of KwaZulu-Natal province, and the deputy minister was in the Devon area where we visited about four schools, and the minister visited about five schools or so. And uh, we're encouraged with what we're seeing because most schools were teaching already in the first hour, which means they were ready to kickstart the school calendar year for 2019. And we did not receive any major incidents apart from that single incident uh, in... Shrizer Renica. is one, but mm-hmm. uh, there's another in Lipopo where another learner stepped uh, his peer to death. So those are some of the things that we received. But uh, in terms of the preparedness for the school program around the country, things went well. Now, Elijah, a very contentious issue Gauteng, the economic hub of uh, the country as a province, and uh, we're still waiting for placement of about uh, 16,000 grade 1 and grade 8 learners, who, uh, who obviously it's a last-minute issue. Is it just uh, parents being um, too relaxed and waiting until the last minute to look for schools or to approach the Gauteng, or to approach the Gauteng Department of Education, or is it an issue of migration into the province? Uh, you know, it's a combination of issues. There are parents who did not apply, who did not respond at all to the call for early admission uh, applications, and but that those that uh, applied and never responded to further communication, asking them to submit certain documents. Migration is a big issue. Right now, I'm talking to you from a second office in Durban, where there's about a thousand people, thousand parents who are converged here to look for space for their children. And today is day two, but their children are still sitting at home. And when I talk to the circuit manager and I talk to some of the parents as well, I find that these people who come from like 400 kilometers away in the northern part of KwaZulu-Natal who have descended here on the city, others come from the eastern Cape. And it's people who are not known uh, to be coming to these uh, areas before. And now they arrived only to find that the schools in this area are full. Now the circuit manager is trying to make a plan to try allocate uh, these kids to schools where there's still spaces. And he's, he's telling me that there's just no space at, at all in the schools here. If you look at what is happening, the desks have been arranged in a manner that the teacher no longer has space to move around. So that's the situation that we are facing right now. There's just a huge demand for schooling in city schools. Now, Elijah, the academic year begins. Parents uh, have to buy stationery and uniform. And we've seen over the years that uh, there's been an increase in prices of stationery and in uniforms and complaints uh, thus far uh, with all these expenses. And, you know, parents are saying it's just too much. 
is there anything that can be done going forward to ensure that, uh, you know, there's, there's accessibility with regards to um, stationery and uniform? Are there ways that, uh, you know, this can be mitigated in terms of the expense and the expense of life in general? Yeah, you're right. There is something that can be done. For example, a uniform is not a legal requirement for a child to go to school. So we don't anticipate that a learner will stay at home because they don't have the correct uniform. Yes, it might be in a a school's code of conduct, but uh, it's merely for convenience to make sure that all the learners look the same. In a case where a learner does not have a uniform, she can still go to school. So we advise school governing bodies to, to, to make decisions that will protect the interests of learners as well as the interests of the parents and guardians. And how do you do that? By making sure that the code of conduct or the arrangement in terms of uh, uh, school uniform procurement is not one that will force parents to go to a particular place to get the uniform. You cannot have exclusive agreements. You need to have a uniform design that is easy to purchase. Uh, if a parent can do it themselves, they should be able to do it themselves as long as it is proper and it looks the same as the others. So there is that option that uh, we have made available. We even invited the Competitions Commission to try help us in this regard because we found that some schools had these long, never-ending agreements with certain suppliers of school uniform to make sure that uh, the parents buy, buy these items from those people only to find that they are, these are expensive parents can't afford it. So we said uh, the anti-competitive behavior will not be allowed because it disadvantages learners, it disadvantages parents. So that's how we're intervening. But we advise parents to attend school governing body meetings because that's where these decisions are made. And uh, you need to be there to object if you want to object and come up with a different solution if you can do that so that life does not become unbearable insofar as your, your, your schooling is concerned. Now, let's speak about uh, grade 12 results. The department, is the department very pleased about these results? And uh, in terms of improving the pass rate um, in years to come, what mechanisms have been put in place to assist those schools that uh, fared quite badly? We are busy visiting those schools uh, as, as, as we speak. We found that a large number of them is here in KwaZulu-Natal. That's why the minister has been here for about three, four days now, uh, visiting the different areas where these schools are located, talking to community members, asking them what uh, they are doing to support these schools. But we will be sending uh, teams later to come sit down with the schools, do a thorough uh, interrogation of what has taken place uh, that has led to the schools achieving at that level. So uh, we'll then determine how to support those schools. If we find that those schools had already been attended to previously in terms of support, then we'll have to change the people that are managing the school because it seems there's something there with the management. So those are some of the things that we're going to do. But uh, the best place to start is to first ask them what it is that is taking place, what their challenges are, and how we can assist them. And then we will then determine how we move forward. Elijah, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave it there for now. Much appreciated. That's uh, Elijah Mslanga, the spokesperson of South Africa's Department of Basic Education, joining us on the line.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has urged the country's professionals to take up the call of Tumamina. He was speaking last night at an engagement with professionals in Durban ahead of the ANC's manifesto launch on Saturday. The party's loss of support in the major metros in the 2016 local government election has been attributed to the disgruntlement of the middle class, many of them professionals, with the ruling party and its policies. Busi Chimombe has more. The ANC is moving to repair its relationship with the country's black middle class. The last decade has seen a rift develop between the two, with policies such as Etols and Gauteng seeing citizens in that province punish the party in the metros of Johannesburg and Zwane, the rising cost of living, and being disparaged as clever blacks also saw some ops to withdraw their support. President Sarah Ramaphosa is now on a charm offensive. We are pleased that you are articulating the views of people on the ground and we are going to be heeding those views, be they issues of employment equity, be they issues of funding for businesses, be they issues of empowerment for young people who should get into business or form businesses. All those issues are issues that are top of mind for us. And his efforts appeared to fall on fertile ground. The professionals, young and old, packed into Durban City Hall, voicing a number of issues, including high unemployment, institutionalized racism, and a lack of seed capital for entrepreneurs. What programs are in place in order for the youth to be able to find funding, in order for them to empower themselves and move forward as a country? salaries. <laughs> But how much money from the PEC is being invested to where the government employees live? How can we make venture capital available to the entrepreneurs that are coming from the townships? More than 20 years ago, Kwabane Act entered to employment equity. It is said, nothing gets done about it. Responding to many of these concerns, President Ramaphosa reassured the professionals that the ANC is alive to their concerns and would respond positively in its election manifesto to be launched this weekend. However, Ramaphosa also called on the middle class to do its part in improving the lives of fellow South Africans. We've been given some privileged status by our country. We are made by our country. Our country invested so much in us to get us to where we are where we call ourselves professionals as we are seated here. And as professionals, we have a responsibility. And this is where we have to say, we should not ask what our country is going to do for us. We should ask, what are we going to do for our country? Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headline, security remains tight in the Democratic Republic of Congo after the country's electoral commission declared opposition leader Felix Tshisekedi provisional winner of the contentious December presidential election. Gabon's ruling party says ailing President Ali Bongo will return to the country very soon after a coup attempt early this week. And U.S. President Donald Trump has walked out of a meeting with congressional leaders after a top Democrat told him that they would not fund his border wall. Those are the stories making headlines. For decades, London was a key centre for the ANC. Oliver Tambo and his family lived in exile in the British capital for 30 years as he rallied international forces against the apartheid regime. His message particularly resonated with a generation who came far of age in the 1980s under the government of British leader Margaret Thatcher, who eventually reversed her support for the apartheid regime and welcomed Nelson Mandela to Downing Street. Catherine Drew takes to look back at the relationship between the UK and the ANC. South Africa House sits on Trafalgar Square in the very heart of London. Today it is a symbol of a democratic, independent nation, a friend to the UK. But that wasn't always the case. For decades, Trafalgar Square was the centre of protest for the international anti-apartheid campaign. Well, who, who are we looking at here? Well, you're looking at my father, you're looking at Jesse Jackson... Last year, South Africa's High Commissioner to the UK, Tembi Tambo, who is the daughter of Oliver Tambo, showed me a mural of photos inside the High Commission, which depicts various scenes from these protests. I don't think the British people know that this is what they did. Under ANC leader in exile Oliver Tambo, and helped by many in Britain's opposition Labour Party, calls for the release of Nelson Mandela slowly gained widespread public support culminating in the 1980s with concerts and trade and sporting boycotts. Former editor-in-chief of South Africa's Sunday Independent newspaper, journalist John Battersby, has spent decades covering UK-South Africa relations. It is true to say that the Conservative Party government regarded the ANC as a terrorist organisation and therefore, by implication, its leader as a terrorist. Margaret Thatcher actually never herself used the words Mandela is a terrorist. But the briefing from her officials like Sir Bernard Ingham and so forth left no doubt that that's what she thought. Under intense public pressure, the government of Margaret Thatcher reversed course, eventually welcoming Nelson Mandela to Downing Street in 1990. If the British government's attitude towards the ANC pre-independence was dominated by Margaret Thatcher through a crucial era, it is Britain's second female Prime Minister, Theresa May, that has overseen a recent warming of relations between the ANC and the UK's Conservative Party. Veteran journalist John Battersby again. The past is never forgotten completely, so there would be a different quality of relationship between the ANC and the Conservative Party to what there is uh, with the Labour Party. But definitely it has warmed, and you saw when Theresa May went on her visit to South Africa um, last year, latest last year, Um, She went out of her way to, although she didn't turn out to be the greatest dancer of all time, she she went out of her way to, uh, as a gesture, to to show her solidarity. Today, Nelson Mandela's statue sits opposite Parliament alongside the likes of Gandhi and Winston Churchill. He remains a much-loved and respected figure in the UK and a symbol of the UK's storied relationship with the ANC.
Catherine Drew, SABC News, London. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people, and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Channel Africa. With the U.S. government partial shutdown now in its third week, it's not just federal workers who are feeling the pinch. The closure of some offices, museums and national parks means fewer customers for small businesses. And after President Trump said the shutdown could last for months or even years, there are growing concerns about the economic impact nationally. From Washington, Kate Fisher reports. Visitors to the National Zoo are having to make do with a plastic panda, bronze lion and a zebra crossing. Even its famous panda cam is switched off. It, like thousands of other government-run locations, is closed, while lawmakers and the president continue a standoff over funding for a border wall. Here at the National Zoo, there's usually a stream of visitors, but today it's completely empty. The gates are locked and there's little sign of when they'll be opened again. For small business owners like Yael Krigman, there is no sugarcoating the effects. Her bakery across the street is suffering. We only have one physical location, so we're not a national chain or international chain that can spread these losses over many stores. So for us to be across from the National Zoo and have the gates closed and be losing so many customers every single day is having a huge impact on us. But President Trump isn't budging. The only solution is for Democrats to pass a spending bill that defends our borders and reopens the government. And neither are the opposition Democrats. President Trump must stop holding the American people hostage, must stop manufacturing a crisis. Government workers are hoping Congress will provide back pay when they finally return to their now empty offices. But across the country, an estimated 4.1 million government contractors may get nothing. And neither will the likes of Mohamed Bada, whose food truck relies on the city's tourists. This area, I can do like 80 customers easily. But uh, last week I did was the best day I did 20 customers. So that was really rough for us. I didn't know for how long I can survive by this. And hopefully they will find a solution for that. But a solution continues to be elusive as Democrats and the president dig in their heels and this deserted city waits for an answer. Kate Fisher, Washington. With the U.S. government partial shutdown now in its third week, it's not just federal workers who are feeling the pinch. The closure of some offices, museums and national parks means fewer customers for small businesses. And after President Trump said the shutdown could last for months or even years, there are growing concerns about the economic impact nationally. From Washington, Kate Fisher reports. Bari, etise, mache, mingabu, baoni, kedu, mbote, ndemne, bonsoir. Join me, Richard Mwamba, for a music show on Channel Africa called Africa in Song every Saturday and Sunday 
from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Africa in Song, Saturday and Sunday from 18 to 20 hours Central African time. Former Government Communication and Information System Head and long-standing member of South Africa's ruling African National Congress, Mzwanele Mani, has joined the African Transformation Movement. He says he can no longer be associated with what he called a tired and fatigued ANC. Mani made the announcement during a media briefing in Johannesburg yesterday. Abongile Dumako compiled this report. And ATM presented itself as a party with sound values, people that are not opportunistic. After 30 years in the ANC, Mzwane Lemanyi says it's time he joined a new political party. Launched in October last year, the African Transformation Movement, ATM, says its main mission is to push for the implementation of the concept of Ubuntu. And that is something that Manyi says attracted him to the party. I was running a business and I was not in politics. I, was, I, I make political uh, policy inputs because I wanted an enabling in the parliament in business. Now I was hounded out of business. I'm in the politics now, not out of choice. I was hounded. So it's clear that if you have a political dispensation that is not favorable to you, you're not going to succeed even in business. So the best thing is to come and fix the politics. This is my posture. The ATM says one of its objectives is to ensure that capital punishment is brought back in South Africa. It also wants taxpayers' money to be used for development and not corruption. Party President Vyolwe Zungula says the country's economy needs to be relooked and to make sure that it serves all the ordinary citizens, not a connected few. Zungula says they are more than ready to govern and they will ensure that crime in South Africa is a thing of the past. We want to reinstate the capital punishment. In the country currently, the taking of another human's life has become a normality. It has become so accepted that we are okay with 57 people dying on a daily basis. And South Africa is the rape capital of the world. There is so much that is going wrong in terms of how we deal with the crime in the country. And if you check, we've had prayers, we've had marches, we've had even the 16 days of activism, but nothing is changing. Mzwane Lemanyi says now is the time for a fresh start in politics with a special focus on a young and vibrant leadership. I'm Abongile Tumago in Johannesburg. Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. Ntakwanangatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. 
across the globe every second there's always a breaking story Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital Addis Ababa Reporting for Channel Africa I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia Our cutting edge and hard hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned giving you the whole picture every time George Muhango Channel Africa Blantyre Reporting for Channel Africa this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Our economics update up next with Tabisolo Hoku. Good morning. The Gambia has announced the controversial plans to levy a 40 US dollar fee on all passengers landing and departing from the country's only international airport in Niandum. The Civil Aviation Border Control Fee, which comes into effect on the 15th of this month, is part of measures being introduced by the government of President Adama Barrow to fund the contract for the provision of the Civil Aviation and Immigration Security and e-visa management services. The fee will also cover the training of airport security officials and the maintenance of the system. The growth of financial inclusion in the Kingdom of Eswatini, driven by the Centre for Financial Inclusion CFR, has applauded has been applauded rather. This comes after numerous platforms have been availed in the country for the public to access funds with or without the use of the bank account. CFI says the relationship between financial inclusion and financial stability is positive. The Center for Financial Inclusion has expressed that the use of mobile money and the other bank-led e-wallet services in the country had significantly contributed to improve the access to financial services. 
The Kenya Tea Development Agency has launched a smart card for farmers to curb theft and weight falsification as it promotes transparency in factories. KTDA is issuing 560,000 members with cards synced with their mobile phones to authorize sale and purchase of tea. The agency says that the card provides growers with a secure way of storing data that can be retrieved at any point. The data includes name of the farmer, grower's number and centre where one delivers their produce. A Zambian firm has suspended the production of an energy drink after tests in Uganda suggested that it contained the active ingredient of Viagra. SX Energy Natural Power Drink, produced by Reven Zambia, is exported to African countries including Uganda, where a consumer also complained of profuse sweating. Reven Gambia's general manager, Vikas Kapoor, says his company has stopped making the drink and has launched an internal investigation. The World Bank has expressed and predicted that global economic growth could slow down to 2.9% from 3%, as had previously predicted. According to the group's latest report, the world economy is set to experience a slump in growth in the coming year, with the 2020 growth estimated at 2.8%. The bank, in its report released on Monday, rather Wednesday, said the growth of emerging markets and developing economies was expected to remain flat in 2019. The U.S. dollar is trading at 363.86 Nigerian Naira, 10.35 Botswana Pula, 101.11 Kenyan Shilling, 11.90 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.69 Brazilian roll, 66.88 Russian ruble, 70.20 Indian rupee, 6.82 Chinese yuan, 13.90 to the South African rand. The U.S. dollar is trading at 78 pence to the British pound, 87 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,295. Platinum, $822 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $60.87 a barrel. From an African perspective, you're listening to Channel Africa. My name is Tabiso Nohoku and Lulu Gabu standing by. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. A sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up, Vina Sports Update. We betting off with uh, cricket news. South Africa's Cape Cobra's batsman Zubai Hamza is relishing the opportunity of making his test debut for the Proteas in the third test against Pakistan at the Bidvest Wanderer Stadium in Johannesburg on Friday. The 23-year-old Hamza could come in for suspended captain Fav Duplessis 
and while not getting ahead of himself, Hamza admits that he's excited at the prospect of being named in the team. I haven't received proper confirmation as to whether I'm playing yet or not. Um, but yeah, if given the chance, I've really enjoyed my time so far. The, the training's been intense and everyone's been welcoming. So um, I've really felt quite comfortable within the team surrounding. Um, and yeah, if given the chance, then I'm looking forward to it. A lot, of, a lot of excitement. Hamza revealed that he had always loved playing football, but his love for cricket grew the more he played the game. I've heard a lot of stories from my parents, uh, whether it's rolling my foot over football or um, kind of just the, the one story was playing playing soccer in the kitchen and ended up uh, covered in fish oil somehow. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, um, growing up, I uh, always enjoyed sport. Never really thought that cricket was going to be the sport we had kind of our career out of. Um, I was more into football at, at a younger age, so um, as, as I've kind of grown up, I've fallen more in love with the sport, and um, yeah, just to think that I am here and speaking to you guys is just crazy, so yeah, bit of nerves here, but yeah, enjoying it. Werner Brenner, captain, that's the German football side, and former German national team forward Max Kruse says his team is taking the mid-season tour of South Africa seriously as they step up their preparations for the second phase of the Bundesliga season. The Northwestern German club is already squared up against Kaiser Chiefs Reserves League side, beating them 1-0 in Randberg. They are now preparing to take on Bidvest Vets in a second warm-up match at the Vets Stadium in Johannesburg on Friday. Kruse has enjoyed what he has seen so far. It's quite hot, but yesterday was like rainy and stormy, so uh, it's half-half. Um, so yeah, I, we like to stay. We like uh, South Africa. For the most of us, it's the first time here. And we enjoyed it uh, right now. Um, we see some things we never seen before. So yeah, for, for us, it's a good experience. South African Premiership side Kaiser Chiefs, also known as Amakosi, put a major dent in Bidvest Vets' APSA Premiership title challenge with a 2-0 win at the Bidvest Stadium in Johannesburg last night. Second-half goals from Leonardo Castro and Hendrik Eckstein saw Amakosi move up to fifth place, while the Vets' side remained at the head of the standings but missed out on the chance to restore a five-point lead over second-placed Orlando Pirates. And finally, the Kremlin says... Moscow's failure to meet the World Anti-Doping Agency WADA deadline last week to hand over data from its anti-doping laboratory could explain or could be explained by logistical problems. The remarks by President Vladimir Putin's spokesperson Dmitry Peskov came as a WADA team was scheduled to visit Russia to obtain test data from the dark-tainted Moscow lab. WADA will consider next steps as a January the 14th to the 15th meeting of its compliance committee. Peskov told journalists that the data had been ready to be passed to the experts where they last came to Moscow in December, but they left empty-handed after Russia raised issues with the certification of water equipment under Russian law. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Felix Chesekedi 
announced as a provisional DRC president-elect and U.S. government partial shutdown now in its third week. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Lebumuna Mukhulu, technical producer Wiseman Mangele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327, or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Selaila Salota with a track titled By the Side. Mm-hmm.